Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Well, I think it's time to begin, if I judge correctly by the clock, and everyone's gotten quiet, so that seems like a good time to start. First of all, good morning. I hope you are having a blessed day. It was great to have Cade Mallory and his wife here with us today. He's uh, off to a very good start as uh, one of the students that we uh, support here from West Huntsville. It's great to see him doing the kind of work that he's doing. We are continuing our discussion of God's big picture plan. And today we are on lesson number five. And uh, if you look at this particular picture, I'm guessing that most of you can discern that there's a pattern there. Uh, I think we call that pattern paisley, but I'm not sure about that. But uh, have you ever given thought to how much patterns, the part that they play in our lives and in uh, our daily affairs? Uh, Think, for instance, about the universe that God created. When we look at the patterns there, those patterns are measured in light years. When we look at our highway system, our interstate highway system, the patterns there are measured in miles. When we think about electronic microcircuits that go into our computers, the distances there are measured in what are called microns, which is a one one hundred thousandth of an inch. Uh, it takes a bunch of those uh, to make up an inch. Uh, when we think about Some of the other things that God has created, for instance, uh, I suspect all of you have been to the seashore and you've seen some of the seashells there that have these marvelous patterns in them. Butterflies, birds, flowers. Even the trunk of a tree has patterns with its rings in the tree. Uh, Think about the human DNA. It is a pattern. It is a pattern for a human being. If you could somehow take your DNA and build another person, you would have your identical twin. That is God's pattern for us. Uh, But there are some more important patterns that I'd like for us to think about. Uh, I have, uh, in the lessons previously, made some brief mention of patterns, patterns that are found in the Scripture, and I want to give some emphasis to that subject today. Uh, and I think they're particularly uh, useful to pay attention to. And we're going to look at uh, some of the t- historic events in the nation of Israel. Uh, and we're going to, I believe, be able to conclude that there are, have always been, uh, in God's scheme of things, patterns uh, that he observes in his relationships with us uh, and in, in the conduct of, of the affairs of man. Uh, Historically, we finished up talking about the escape from Egypt, 
the uh, 38 years of wandering in the wilderness, and we're at that point now. Uh, and we're going to look at some history uh, following that. But first of all, I want to go step back just a little bit and uh, talk about some of the things that happened just prior to that. But our lesson today is entitled Patterns in the Big Picture, lesson number five. And what I want to, uh, what I have here are four different pictures that illustrate events that occurred during the escape of the Israelites from Egypt. Uh, beginning, of course, with the very early life of Moses, he was, in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 10, drawn out of the water. In fact, his very name means drawn out of. Uh, if you look at the second picture, the top right, that happened later when Moses returned. There the water was turned to blood in Exodus chapter 7. Then they crossed the Red Sea. Again, they were passing through water. Uh, and that is referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as a type of our baptism. The Israelites were delivered by crossing through water. And then there is the event in the desert when uh, God provided water from a rock for the people. Uh, I would suggest to you that there can be little doubt looking at just these four events and then thinking about Noah and the flood and how God delivered him by means of water, that water indeed is one of the patterns that we find uh, in God's word, in God's scheme of things. And of course, we're familiar with how water plays out in our own lives in baptism. Now, let's pick up with some history. Uh, <clears throat> they have arrived at the border of the land of Canaan for a second time. And this time, all of those people who had refused to enter the land previously have all died off. And now there's a new generation of people, and Moses finds it necessary to educate them uh, as they prepare to enter into the land. So the book of Deuteronomy is made up of some eight sermons or eight orations or whatever you want to call them by Moses. They took place during an interval of about a week in time. Uh, <clears throat> and they can be divided into three parts. The first part of the, the early chapters are about the past. Then the middle chapters have to do with the near future that the Israelites uh, will be facing and then the latter chapters have to do with the far future. They're looking even hundreds of years uh, into the future. So beginning in chapter 1, Moses recites for them, again, their own history uh, and some of the things that they uh, went through uh, or their predecessors, the previous generation, went through in arriving where they are. Notice this list of comparisons here. It gives a list of the directions that God gave to them, and then it gives the choice that the Israelites made in response to that. God told them to go possess the land. Their response was, well, no, I don't think so. I'm afraid. I'm unwilling to go. God said, I'll bless you when you go into that land. But uh, they rebelled, they grumbled, in fact, numerous times 
they grumbled and rebelled against God and against Moses. God told them to choose wise leaders in chapter 1, verse 15. But they repeatedly listened to the wrong leadership. They listened, of course, to the ten unfaithful spies. They listened to Korah and other such men as that who uh, led them astray. And God said, uh, do not fear. And, of course, they were afraid to go in. And God said, well, if you do go in, I'll fight for you. But they were not trusting enough to uh, take God up on his promise. Now, Moses was with them, but we know that Moses is nearing the end of his journey and will not be allowed to go into the land. But uh, he is nevertheless in a great position to deliver these admonitions from the Lord. Then as he approaches the end of the book, he has a further admonition for them. Uh, And I would suggest that this is giving us hints at another pattern Uh, that we see throughout the Word of God, and that is choices and consequences. Uh, They're now, again, at the at the edge of the Jordan River, in in effect, ready to cross into the land of Canaan. And uh, the question comes up, it must have been going through Moses' mind, well, what are they going to choose now? I wonder if they will have that same unfaithful reaction uh, that they had before. Is history going to repeat itself? Well, uh, I think we found, uh, we'll kn- we know that they were willing to go in uh, at this time. Uh, but Moses uh, presents them the choice in Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, beginning at verse 19. It's an interesting reading. It says, I, that is I, Moses, or speaking for God, call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. So Moses again presents them with a choice, uh, and he also outlines for them the rewards as well as the consequences if they fail to make the right choice. Uh, Over and over, I think we are probably in the back of our mind thinking of other occasions when God offered choices to his people and a challenge. And God has always been faithful to present the choice to us. It is our choice, not his. He won't make it for us. But he will outline what the rewards will be if we choose correctly. <clears throat> and he, he does outline what the consequences are if we fail to choose. Uh, again, I think consequences and choices are a part of God's plan, and we see that pattern occurring over and over. Another pattern that we see uh, in Scripture throughout is the blood of a lamb. Blood sacrifices have always been a part of God's big picture, going all the way back to uh, Cain and Abel, or at least to Abel as as, uh, he offered a blood sacrifice. Uh, 
the uh, first Passover, uh, the first Passover lamb is described in the fashion shown here, an unblemished male uh, that's at least a year old. So the Passover was to offer a blood sacrifice and it was to be a perfect sacrifice. And this reveals in, again a pattern that God himself declared is a type of Jesus' son. Uh, we see that when, <clears throat> when Jesus was nailed to the cross. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 22, Peter describing Jesus as a lamb said, who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth. The uh, effective element in this first Passover was blood. Again, we read in Exodus 12, chapter 13, uh, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land. Again, blood is the key element in effectiveness in delivering from sin. And we'll see more about that in a later lesson. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, at verse 18, we read this. I know that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Jesus is referred to as our Passover. He is our sacrifice of blood uh, for our sins. So just as that first Passover lamb uh, saved the Israelites uh, from their slavery and their awful environment in which they lived in Egypt, uh, very much in a similar fashion, God, in a sense, passes over us. Uh, he passes over our forgiven sins because of Jesus' blood. One of the things that I mentioned early on, uh, <clears throat> and this is the other passage that I read, is I made reference to the uh, frequent use in the pattern and the picture of priesthood. And thus far, there's not been a lot to uh, say about that. Uh, <clears throat> we saw that briefly in the book of Genesis. But now, as we have the law of Moses in effect, and uh, there is a high priest and a whole uh, host of priests who work with him, uh, we begin to see a lot of activity on the part of priests and the high priest in particular. That very theme of uh, priest and priesthoods uh, occurs uh, some thousand times, beginning in the very beginning almost of the Bible and going all the way into the book of Revelation. Uh, priest, priesthood, and that sort of thing. And the high priest, of course, in the law of Moses was, was the key person there. Uh, Aaron, of course, being the first high priest. And we read about that uh, here in Exodus 30 and chapter 10. And Aaron, that is the high priest, shall make atonement upon the, its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. 
and once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. So in establishing this form of sacrifice, God is establishing another pattern. He's establishing a pattern with regard to his high priest. And of course, we know, particularly from the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is our high priest. If you look at the book of Hebrews, I believe in every chapter except for three or four, there is mention made of Jesus as our high priest. And there's a lot of detail given about that, particularly in chapters four and five. So again, I think another notable pattern in God's plan is this matter of the high priesthood. And and along with that, we see the matter of atonement. We see the matter of the cleansing by the blood uh, and the high priest himself, of course, our high priest being Jesus Christ. And maybe coincidentally, but incidentally, by the way, how did the priest purify or prepare the sacrifices before they offered them? They washed them with water. A bit more about the priesthood. This, of course, is a passage from Hebrews 9 that talks about the priesthood, the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think this passage should put our minds at rest as to whether or not there is a pattern with regard to uh, the high priest and the priesthood uh, in God's scheme of things. Uh, In this, I think we see several things. But first, reading this passage from Hebrews 9, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the great and more precious tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus carried his blood very much like the high priest carried the blood into the most holy place. Jesus carried his blood into the most holy of all, heaven itself, before his Father uh, for our sins. And that was a sacrifice that is referred to there once for all. Unlike the high priest of Israel, they had to go do this once a year. Jesus' sacrifice is one time for all time. Uh, it is for eternal redemption. Uh, the high priest presented a blood offering. And of course, Jesus presents his own blood as the only perfect sin sacrifice uh, that God could accept and that could be offered. And it was an annual thing uh, on the part of the uh, Israelites. Uh, All it did, all it accomplished was to delay God's judgment, his wrath for another year. Uh, It was temporary. But uh, as we pointed out and observed in this passage, Christ's sacrifice was once for all time. Now, taking another step forward in the history, I want to talk a little bit about Rahab and the spies. Uh, Again, they're uh, at the border of the land of Canaan. They have a new leader now, Joshua. Uh, Moses, of course, as we we mentioned earlier, was not allowed to go in because of uh, uh, sin on his part. Uh, One of the things that's worth noting perhaps about that at this point, God held 
in our minds, perhaps Moses' sin might seem just a little, uh, a small thing. But God holds his leaders accountable. Uh, he held Moses accountable for what he had done as a leader of the people, and he always, uh, and he continues to hold leaders accountable uh, for their actions and for how they lead his people. But let's talk about the spies. Just like before, when they were preparing to go into the land, uh, their leader, and this time, this time Joshua, sends out spies, uh, and they're going to go particularly into the city of Jericho, since it's the first city they'll encounter. And there they encounter, <clears throat> encounter this lady, Rahab, who uh, takes sympathy on them, and she hides them on the rooftop of her house, uh, and and saves them from certain uh, death, I would say, because they were spying out uh, the, the homeland of these people. Uh, but one of the things that we can draw from Rahab and also the story of Ruth is that God had a place in his plan for Gentiles, and he had a place for women as well. Uh, up until this time in history, we're reading primarily about men. There's not a lot given. But now we begin to read about these women, Rahab and Harlot, uh, and Rahab the Harlot and Ruth the Moabitess. What's one important fact about Rahab and Ruth? Well, Matthew chapter 1 lists them in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Again, I think God is highlighting the importance, the role of Gentiles and women. Ordinarily, a genealogy would list only the men in a generation. But here, God takes a step aside or departs from the norm, so to speak, and lists these two women as important factors, important uh, people in the genealogy of, of his son. So again, I think another pattern... Uh, of course, we're the beneficiaries of it, women and Gentiles. Uh, there are a lot of women here. I think maybe all of us are Gentiles, perhaps, uh, benefiting from that. Another place to stop and take a quick look uh, is when they are preparing to cross the Jordan River. This is a depiction of the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant. As you remember the story, uh, the uh, priest carrying the ark, they, they walk toward the river and they take that first step to touch the water and immediately the waters divide. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, in Joshua chapter 3 at verse 11, it reads like this, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Would you... <clears throat> The question I had to ask for myself uh, in thinking of their situation, the Jordan River is at flood stage at this point in the springtime. Uh, so they are crossing a river that's much larger than normal, and it is flooding, so you have raging waters. How many of us would be able to, would be willing, without knowing what's going to happen, to take that first step? into the water, into a flood stage, in a river at flood stage like this. Uh, they'd never seen anything like this before. 
But God, his presence is in this ark. So God, in effect, is saying, I'm going to go before you, just as he had promised them the first time that he would go before them. Now, indeed, he is. Uh, Previously, he had led them or gone before them in a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. Now his presence is uh, in the Ark of the Covenant itself. So God's presence is with them. He is going with them into the land uh, that he had promised them. And just as a reminder, this is a is a fulfillment of the promise that God had made to them in Exodus 23. For my angel will go before you and bring you to the, into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. God is keeping his promise. He is always faithful. Now going to another stage in the history uh, of the Israelites, you've probably seen a diagram somewhat like this before. It represents the cycle of sin in the book of Judges. Uh, and this in itself is a pattern. So yes, uh, in reality, there is a pattern to sin as well. And of course, we read about in the book of uh, James in the first chapter how that pattern plays out in our own individual lives as we have desire and then lust and then sin. Uh, And so this shows a repetition of a cycle among the Israelites. Uh, They would fall into sin at the top. Uh, God would allow or would send one of their surrounding nations and they would take them perhaps not into captivity, but they were their slaves. Some of them would take away all of their crops. They would allow them to raise their crops, but then almost immediately uh, they would come in, swoop in, take up their food and take it away from them. So it was a very cruel time over and over and over again. These people, in their slavery, in their servitude, they would make supplication to God and say, please God, deliver us. And of course, uh, we know the history. God over and over again did do so. And when you look at these judges, when you look at the early ones, these were, the early ones were godly men, but very much like the decline in the people over time, the quality of the leadership declined until we get down to that uh, murderous womanizer by the name of Samson. But God still had a plan. He followed up Samson with the very righteous man, Samuel a prophet and a priest uh, who was a leader and uh, led God's people in a very righteous way. And one of the ways uh, that's important historically is he led them in their transition from judges to a kingdom. Uh, We know that uh, he's the first one, or he is the one who appointed the first king. And uh, so we start to see a change in the nature of the Israelites' history at this point, we see them going from a judgeship, a very loose, really, uh, uh, collaboration almost, uh, certainly not always unified, group of 12 tribes. Uh, and God finally allowed them to have a king, and that brought them together in a very 
solid and unified nation. If we think about this also, uh, we see, as, as this picture depicts, uh, patterns in God's rescue plans. Uh, he's not going to be, that is God, is not going to be foiled or thwarted by the sins of mankind. He can deliver and he will deliver as he has promised. Uh, no matter, I can personally make a wreck of my own life by my sins, but there's nothing that I can do that any of us can do that will foil God's plans uh, for us in delivering us uh, from sin. I want to suggest to you a few lessons that we might draw from just this uh, at this point in, in the history of the Israelites. God is God, and he's in charge. He will always deliver on what he's promised. He punishes the wicked, rewards the righteous, and he is the one who is the ultimate judge of all of us. And as I said, just to repeat, his plans do not fail. They will uh, be completed. So God has seen our sin and our slavery to sin, and he sent our deliverer, Jesus Christ, to bring salvation as the judges brought to the Israelites. Finally, If we look at our situation, if we look at the history of the Israelites, we find these three things. They were, and we are, separated from God in sin. We're a slave to sin, or we were slaves to sin. We were under God's judgment, but uh, God sent us a deliverer, and that deliverer is manifested to us, or, or that uh, sin in his in our sin, God's wrath uh, was demonstrated, and against against Israel and against us in our sin. But He also provides a way of deliverance. This picture of a person being baptized into Christ, we see very much like when God delivered Noah and his family. We see a rescue, or we would use the word today uh, that we have been saved by the waters of baptism. Again, we see another one of those patterns, water playing out in, uh, in the lives of Christians, those who are willing to submit themselves uh, to baptism. So we've seen pictures, patterns of blood, as a means of deliverance, we've seen patterns of water as a part of God's delivering mechanism. Uh, he's rescued us. He's saved us. But uh, one of the things that we enjoy as Christians, we're no longer separated from God. We're his child. We're his children. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to Jesus Christ. And we're no longer under God's judgment of wrath. We are under his protection and his promises.
My clock says, suggest we have five to ten minutes left. Uh, I'd like to open up the floor for some consideration or for some discussion. I've suggested several patterns that I observe in looking particularly at Old Testament history, but I wonder what you think of, what comes to your mind when you think about patterns that God has exhibited in in Scripture uh, and in His plan for us that perhaps uh, I have just not thought about, overlooked, or whatever that seem important or are important to you. What patterns come to mind uh, in Scripture that... Uh, that we should uh, give some thought to. Anyone think of any? I can think of one that I forgot to include in the in the history. Uh, of course, he occurs later in the Old Testament history, and that's uh, in the in the matter of water as a pattern. There is uh, that uh, man Naaman. Sin or water, rather, was his means of deliverance from his leprosy. Again, God using water as a means to deliver or to save from distress. Yes, yes, exactly. That's right. He was in effect, he was covered with the disease. We're covered with the disease of sin before Jesus delivers us. Other thoughts? Patterns? In Scripture, patterns in God's plan that play out in our own lives. Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, he did. Water uh, is a means of delivering the wedding feast from a failure, from a disaster. Yeah. Other thoughts? Unleavened bread, yes, that's right. Uh, that is something that's observed over and over in the uh, in the old law, wasn't it? They used unleavened bread in the tabernacle, uh, out daily, weekly. If I'm forgotten for sure which, uh, but that, of course, symbolizing the purity. Uh, sin has been taken away. Other patterns that come to mind. Yes, Jerry. Yes. Yes, that's right. That's another example where water plays a part. He cites the example of Gideon, uh, and, and they're going down to the water, and the ones, uh, some of them lapped or dipped the water up with their hands, and then some of them, I guess, bent down and uh, lapped the water or licked the water up. Uh, like a dog does. Yes, yes, that's, that's right. Romans six seventeen. Uh, obeyed from the heart that form or that pattern of doctrine. So God in his will from the very beginning, as we mentioned in last, last week's lesson, grace and faith has always been a part of God's pattern. Uh, and it is even today for us. Uh, a vital ingredient for us. Our faith responds to his grace, his gift. Other thoughts? Yes, yes it is. 
Uh, Cindy points out that anointing is another pattern that we see. Uh, the anointing of kings, the anointing of prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus uh, is referred to as a prophet, a priest, and a king. He was anointed all three. Uh, and we receive an anointment of a sense in that we are uh, Ephesians election or being chosen uh, similar idea I think of of being uh, chosen by God we are selected by him we are anointed by him uh, to receive his blessings all spiritual blessings as it says in verse 3 of chapter 1 of Ephesians any other other things all good thoughts yes Gary yeah yeah, very good. Uh, Gary's pointing out, uh, again, another pattern uh, where God, when he gives his word, he's not expecting us just to hear it, but rather to take action on it, uh, to obey, to heed his word. Something else you can do in your spare time, uh, if you'd like, is you, you can look at some of the patterns in words that are uh, used in the Bible. Over and over, uh, particularly Paul uses word plays. Uh, he'll kind of play one meaning of a word off against another meaning of a word. Uh, there are things called chiasms, uh, where you take a sequence of ideas and you list those, and then the, res- the other part of that is you list those same ideas in reverse. That's referred to as a chiasm. Uh, and that, that technique is used particularly a lot in the Old Testament. Uh, so there, there are patterns as well in words studied and, and words that you find uh, in God's Word. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.